A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, welcome to the 338th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Debbie Bradshaw. Thank you, Debbie. I'm Matt Enloe. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we have Peter Yackel on the podcast. He is a writer, producer, director. His new movie, Medieval, just came out. It stars Michael Caine and Ben Foster and a bunch of other awesome people. It is literally like Game of Thrones, the movie with like all the battle scenes, all the blood, all the action, super inventive fighting things. It's really fun and exciting. And I watched it and it's out in theaters now. So you can check it out. He'd made two movies before this. The first one was in Czech. He's originally from Prague where he got discovered by freaking Rob Cohen. Do you know, do you know Rob Cohen, right? Sure. Yeah. Triple X, Fast and Furious. Big deal. Did you know that? So he directed The Girl Next Door, the Blumhouse Mm -hmm. film that kind of Mm -hmm. put Blumhouse on the map with J-Lo. And there's a really good podcast episode that we've promoted that we've unpatedly endorsed. Kim Masters, The Business? Yes, it was a business episode about how mm-hmm. Blumhouse worked. They did a couple episodes, one about Get Out, but the first one was about The Girl Next Door. It's a really fascinating listen. If you want to know how Blumhouse works, check out The Business's episodes with Jason Blum. We're not in our unpaid endorsements segment, but basically anytime Jason Blum is on a podcast, it's worth listening to because that dude is so smart, so dialed in, charismatic, easy to listen to. I listened to all of his episodes where he would drop in on the business. He would talk to them about just kind of the state of the business, but also Kim Masters' partner in banter, Matt Bellamy, I think his name is, has a show called The Town that is similar in that it's like a Hollywood trade sort of talk show. And Jason Blum was on that podcast relatively recently. And again, a super interesting, super fascinating conversation, not only about Hollywood at large, but also about independent filmmaking specifically and why you just learn like why Jason Blum is like basically the most prolific and successful independent producer, I guess, of all time. Yeah, of all time. Yeah. I mean, he is the only person, at least right now, that knows how to make a blockbuster six million dollar movie, which yeah. I think is is pretty difficult to do. Yeah. Anyway, Peter was discovered by Rob Cohen in Prague on the filming of Triple X, the Vin Diesel movie. And mm-hmm. we talk a little bit about that. We talk about his background as an Olympian. He has a pretty difficult career to copy. To emulate, sure. Yeah, but I'll tell you, my favorite part of the interview was when he told us about how he got his second feature film. He teamed up with Jason Blum and Rob Cohen. He peed it. It's easy to listen to an interview and be like, okay, well, so, you know, these guys like kind of that are super, super dialed into Hollywood, like were executive producers on your film. Of course, you got it made. But like, I don't know those guys, so I can't do it. But he through his acting where happened to have a meeting with Rob Cohen and he told him about this movie he was making. And Rob Cohen was like, oh, that sounds interesting. You should show me something sometime. And he had the trailer that he had already shot. He self-financed this movie. He shot the trailer and he 
edited it together and he showed it to Rob Cohen. And that's what kind of like got him basically. And then continued to work on it for literally years. Even though it sounds, it doesn't quite sound like it on its surface. I think like Peter really does have that just shoot it mentality of like, I'm just going to make things whether I'm paying for it, whether I'm doing it myself or whether it's like, you know, I have a few million dollars in famous Hollywood people. And now he's also producing other movies. He's, you know, working with a lot of huge actors, the the De Niro, Russell Crowe type people. We talk about directing battles, directing animals and all the other stuff in between. So it's a really fun chat. Before we hop into our conversation with Peter, though, I've been dying to let you know that if you want to support this show, Oren, do you know what you do? You go to patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. And for the cost of a coffee once a month or so, you can support the show. All that money goes towards all of the different fees that we have to run this show and also pay our editor, Noah, which is the secret sauce to actually delivering an episode a week for the last 338 weeks in a row. Anyway, patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. If you like the show a ton, you could get yourself a just shoot a pod hat at the $20 level. Yeah, check it out. We really appreciate it. We love our patrons. It's really what helps the show keep going. And if you feel like you're getting anything out of it, then join at the $1 level or the $4 level or just send us an email or tweet at us. We love to hear from you. I might even like send a snarky reply to you. Patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. Let's uh, hop into our conversation with Peter Yackel. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. 
Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. And we're here with Peter Yakel. Happy birthday. It's your birthday. Happy birthday, Peter. Matt is going to sing you happy birthday now. Ready? And <clears throat> a one and a two. No, we don't have the rights to happy birthday. Thank you, guys. Well, anyway, happy birthday. Congratulations on your movie. It just came out, Medieval, mm-hmm. on Friday, right? This past Friday? Yes. Friday, yes. When was the premiere? Before it came out, right? Actually, we had a premiere on the 5th in Prague, which was worldwide premiere. And we had the release in Prague on Thursday. And then we had a premiere in L.A., on Wednesday on the 5th, and we had, you know, just like released on Friday. And we had a lot of beer at a premiere. And then I was actually flying to LA early morning, right after the premiere. So I almost didn't sleep. So it was really (laughs) tough. And then I had another premiere here. And I also slept just a little bit because once you have a jet lag, then you can sleep. Like you have to go very early to bed and then, you know, just wake up very early in the morning. And if you go very late to bed, you still wake up very early in the morning. So it's just like, I spent like really like two hours sleeping, one hour sleeping. So I'm, um, yeah, I'm pretty exhausted. <laughs> I'm going way off script right at the beginning. <sighs> Premieres, right? So this movie, it's it's a pretty big movie, right? Um, it's got Michael Caine, Ben Foster, got huge battle scenes. It's your first American film, right, that you directed. Basically, this is the first, you know, big American production. I did small found footage horror movie in English before, like seven years ago. And that was my second movie. The first movie was in Czech. It was a thriller, which was shot in in Czech language. It was, you know, 2010. That was about the most famous Czech prisoner who escaped from a prison like Alcatraz. And by the way, he got later on, he got pardoned from a president. You know, he's super famous. He's like a celebrity there. And I I made this movie about him. It was fun. Yeah, it was just, uh, it, it was a thriller. And wasn't it the number one movie in like the Czech Republic? Yeah, it was the highest first weekend, opening weekend, box office. And then it, it's it's like top 10 of, you know, all box offices, you know, of all time. It was really cool. I've heard people said it's the avatar of the Czech Republic. (laughs) Since we're already so far off script, you know, Prague is a pretty huge movie town now. Over the last few decades, more and more American productions come to Prague. It's got like a timeless European city sort of vibe. It's quite film friendly. I'm curious about how locals feel about Hollywood productions coming to their city. I think almost everybody is happy about it. Americans spend a lot of money there. Whoever Mm -hmm. goes there, you know, they go to pubs, hotels. They spend a lot of money also on the productions of the movies. So a lot of people have work. And uh, also there were some, you know, because these big productions came to Prague, started to come to Prague around 1997, Eight, mm-hmm. something like that. You know, Mission so, Impossible say, 1, I think. Famously. 25 years ago, yeah. it was Triple sure. X, Hearts War, Bad Company, a lot of big movies. And Triple X, was that your first movie that you acted in? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah, it was first American, you know, big production. And then it was fun because 
I got this part, you know, I'm one of those bad guys and uh, I ride a motorbike and my line in the movie was bitches come, you know? So Vin Diesel told me when we were shooting this, you know, this line, he said, Hey, you have to say it like with my voice, like bitches come. <laughs> so <laughs> Rob Cohen said, okay, uh, action. And I said, bitches come. And he came to me and said, why are you doing this? You know, well, who? and I said, Vin told me to do it like this. I said, no, you have to do it. Like, you know, and the, he just explained me how, how I should do it. So I, I did it. And then immediately Vin came to me. Why are you doing it this way? I just told you, like, you have to do it. Like, bitches go. They had big argument over this, but the line was so, you know, just like so great that, you know, every morning we were shouting at each other, bitches come. And then they made t-shirts, you know, and I, even when I was in, in LA, you know, people were saying like, bitches come. Hey. <laughs> it was fun. Did you study acting or I know you have a background in judo. You were in the Olympics for judo. You came into acting through stunts and stuff, right? Yeah. Basically, when I was doing judo, they hired us as stuntmen and, and we were, you know, actually working on uh, Jean of Arc, which was directed by uh, Luc Besson in 1998. And it was shot, you know, in the Czech Republic. I spent like two and a half or three months, you know, working on 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 that movie and it was really great experience uh, Luc Besson told me that I should be an actor and I didn't speak English at all uh, just a couple of words and he said if you learn English I'm gonna help you and so I started to learn English and then he helped me and by the way he called me and he said hey Peter you have to come to London and my wife which was Mila Jovovich at the time uh, she's going to introduce you to Ridley Scott and because he's preparing a movie and it would be great for you because you are a big guy. He's looking for fighters. And the, the name of the movie is Gladiator. And I was like, sure, sure. It's, it's great. It's awesome. And when, it, when is it? And he said, uh, yeah, whatever. But it was uh, summer. And I said, oh, oh, I can't. I can go. He said, what? I said, no, no, I've got world championships in judo. I said, you really telling me you're not going to come to meet Ridley Scott for this? I said, no, no, I can't. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I've been training, you know, so long for this to get, you know, there to the Olympics because that was like uh, one year before 2000 Olympic Games uh, in Sydney where I really wanted to go. And I said, okay, I can't. So he got mad. and But later on, a year after he called me again and he said, if I want to go to Paris, that he's preparing some, he's producing some movie. And uh, I, I went there. It was something with uh, Jet Li. I did some audition with Jet Li, but he was very short. He was like, you know, yeah, I mean, Luke said, I cannot get you into a, you know, frame same together shot. because <laughs> it's the same shot. <laughs> so I didn't get it too. But it inspired, he inspired me, you know, uh, to to start learning English, which was the most important thing for me. And then I went to LA because I also got another, that was right after Triplex and Bad Company with Anthony Hopkins. Uh, I had some small part there too. So it, they invited me into LA and uh, I was here for both premieres. Yeah, I was learning English and also I was taking some classes. So I'm curious, when you're in that world, you're in that environment, you're getting invited to 
all of these different places. What's going through your mind? When did you have that moment where you're like, okay, I'm going to direct now and I'm going to start examining the things that people are doing around me and picking and choosing what I like about the way that they work? Yeah, I, I mean, I was really lucky. I'm living my second life because my first life was judo. I did it for 20 years. I did everything for that. And I, I got injured when I was 26. And then I, I went to Olympic Games and I, I, I couldn't continue because I would end up like on a wheelchair. So I had to stop, but it was awesome life. And I wanted to do something what would satisfy me as much as judo did. Since I was 20, I started to be also a stuntman. And I worked on these movies, and uh, that was the time when these big productions came to Prague. So I had this chance. And because I'm big and I, I'm not afraid to talk to people, I made friends out of actors or directors. And then they hired me to act, to have some small parts in these movies. And I became to be really, really good friend with Rob Cohen, for example. Then he was... Uh, executive producer on my first movie in English uh, on that horror. And he helped me so much, so much with everybody, everything here. And he introduced me to people. And I became to be friend with uh, some other guys I work with. And then that's why it started to be much easier for me. And I didn't ask them for anything. I didn't ask them for help. And they just basically asked me, what are you doing? And I said, yeah, I'm working on this. And he said, no, okay, show it to me. I show it to them. And they said, oh, I like it. You know, uh, do you need some help? I said, of course, you know, if you can help me, if you want to help me. This was for the found footage film? That was for the found footage film. And what did you show them? Like just a script or some st test stuff you did? I put the movie together and I went to LA. Like you already shot it? I shot it. I shot just it already. Just on your own? Yes. And how did you pay for it? This was the movie when I really paid it, you know, everything with my own money. So, and, and, yes. And we shot it in, in Ukraine, uh, mm -hmm. right before the first conflict. It was also inspired some by, by some real events like famine and also by uh, a cannibal, uh, Andrei Chikatilo, which was one of the craziest people on earth. I would say we were at, at a restaurant in LA with Rob Cohen and he, he just asked me, what are you doing? And I, I said, I'm working on, on this movie. And he said, okay, can you show me something? And I, I showed him a trailer in, in that restaurant. And he was like, oh my God, you scared me. It's just like, it's so good. I just like, I want to watch it. And he called immediately from that restaurant. He called Jason Blum. And he said, Jason, you have to watch this movie. Let's watch it this week with me. In two days, I was showing it to Jason and Rob, and they both really like it. And then it started like they were asking for changes. And then I did some reshoots and it was never ending story. But uh, yeah, I, I did many, many things to change it. And did they give you any money or they were just like, no. hey, this is we'll, we'll help you release this if you go change yes. these scenes? Exactly. Yeah. And you had already shot it in English. Yes. 
Okay. But the problem with that movie was that it, it, it was found footage, which was great in 2011, 2012. But I was finishing, finishing it for another three years with reshoots and everything. And in 2015, found footage was rude word. It was any, nobody wanted it anymore. And another thing, it was in 3D. So I really <laughs> shot it on real 3D cameras because in 2011, when I decided to do it on 3D, it was like 3D was, oh, cool, you know, just 3D is great. And then in four years, it's just like, it was not big of a deal, 3D and uh, found footage in 3D. It was not a good combination for the movie. I end up editing with uh, Rob Cohen in his uh, his house uh, in Malibu. And uh, then we decided to distribute it on our own. The the problem for the big distribution was that I couldn't get the results of uh, of testing to Mm -hmm. that more than 50% people would recommend the movie to somebody else because it was always why it's too depressive, too uh, Mm -hmm. like ugly in a way, but it was a horror. And it just, Mm -hmm. and and some people said, we would like to have more blood, <laughs> or, uh, but it was too dirty, too depressive because it was different kind of movie. And, and mm-hmm. I couldn't get over that. So uh, whatever I changed, this was still, you know, not high enough. And I, I didn't. Yeah. So then, then uh, Rob told me, okay, forget about it. Just like, let's, di- let's distribute it, but not in the big way. What, what was planned Let's do a small distribution. So I had a small distribution in US and we sold it really well to other countries and it did great in in uh, South America and it did great in my country. It was the highest grossing horror ever, the, you know, so it was yeah. like... It was it was great, but uh, yeah, I spent like quite a lot of a lot of time with changing it. And that movie was Ghoul, right? Ghoul, yes, that was Ghoul. I mean, it was great experience because then I understood even they really liked the movie, they still wanted the the testing be you know really good. So this whole time, so you're spending four years making this movie that you're paying for, you're hanging out with these millionaires right yeah yeah (laughs) in their in their malibu mansion seaside you know this guy is hanging out j-lo everyone your buddies with everyone how are you making a living like while you're working on this movie like who's paying you because i produce all my movies Mm -hmm. so i'm paying myself (laughs) which is uh, a good thing but also it's a bad thing because then I also uh, wrote the, the scripts for all my three movies and I directed all of them. So then you get into many troubles because sometimes you write something which is too expensive. And as a producer, you say, oh, my God, oh, my God, this is too expensive. But as a director, you say, oh, my God, but it's great. Yeah, so it's very difficult. And especially once you get into pre-production and production, it's difficult to rewrite things. If you talk to actors, rehearse with them, then you have to rewrite it. But you also have to change the location as a producer. Mm -hmm. And then you have to do another preparation as a director. So it's a lot of work. If I direct some other movie, I would rather not to write it and produce it, just focus on directing because then it would save a lot of my energy 
which I spend on other stuff. I think sometimes it's also nice to have checks and balances. You know what I mean? If you're the one person who's making all the decisions, it kind of, in a weird way, maybe short circuits some creativity. You know, like if a producer says, hey, you can't afford this, you learn like, oh, I'm either going to fight for it, we're going to figure out a way to afford it, or I'm going to write something new that's potentially better. And like when you're wearing all of those hats, it can be a little hard to have those conversations with yourself, you know? Absolutely. And I, I actually, I got into these situations during the shooting. So I like, for example, some, we didn't have enough time to rehearse some battle scenes. So I went to, to a set and suddenly they showed me how it was rehearsed, you know, how the choreography looks and it was bad. It was not good because they were not ready. Actors didn't know what to do. So I had to think about how to change it, how to shoot it, because it, if I shot it the way they showed me, it would be really bad. What makes a battle scene bad, in your opinion? Basically, if you have like uh, 30 stunt guys and 10 actors and they are fighting. So usually what you and do... And your, your actors like Ben Foster and stuff, they're not stunt guys. And right. they are not stunned guys. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, what you do, you basically hire a core team of stuntmen and they rehearse everything. And they, uh, I did all the uh, choreographies with them. I, mm -hmm. I watched them, how they do it, you know, and I was filming it with them in preparations. Did you but, have it in the script? Like, did you say this guy's face gets chopped off or whatever? This guy. Yes, yes. I wrote it down, but sometimes it, uh, of course, it was later on when we were trying to find the best way how to do it, we changed it. Then I felt like we have something what I really wanted, and th this is it. And then these stuntmen. They have to go and teach it mm -hmm. to to those actors. You're writing the set piece with that stunt team. Exactly. Essentially, like you might not literally be like saying this, you know, so-and-so swings with their left fist and misses or whatever, but you all have worked it out together. And it sounds like you've even done previs where you're shooting it, you're getting in there with your phone and like maybe even cutting some things together. I and see. they give you options. If they are good, yeah. they can show you. And here, I would do this, you know, mm -hmm. and you incorporate it into the, the fight. And that's why I wanted to be involved in this because I'm also, I, I know how, how to fight. And uh, I was doing like what I would do in this situation, this, that. And these and guys were fighting style for like medieval time like when mm -hmm. does this take place in 1500? it's more like it's 1500 but it's more like a brutal uh, fighting you know when when you get into these kind of fights it's just brutal you you want to survive and adrenaline and everything is like too high to think about anything what you have learned before you you know that and you use it but you're not planning how to use it you just like turn mm -hmm. around turn to the left give a hat to somebody yeah, yeah. so it just yeah, yeah. So then you basically create it with your team of stuntmen and then each one of them is playing one of those parts, you know, and uh, they go and rehearse it with Ben Foster. So he had his double there and he has to show him how to do it. 
And if they don't have enough time, that actor cannot do it as well as needed for the scene. So mm-hmm. once you get to the place, some actors were not available for the, for the training because they were shooting uh, or, you know, they were not there yet. Many stuff, somebody was, um, you know, injured, something. Mm-hmm. So when I saw the whole thing, the whole battle, it didn't look very good. And I, I just, I was thinking about it, what I could do. So I created a scene where these rebels pieces of hay and they put it on fire and they use water to pour it on the, on those, you know, pieces and basically created smoke and they throwed it into on, on a field. Suddenly everywhere was smoke mm-hmm. and it was beautiful because these guys were fighting in the smoke and appearing and disappearing. And you're hiding all the bad fighting. <laughs> exactly. The good fighting. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It just, wait, and is this something that people did or you just invented it? You're like, how can I, how can I, I add inv- some more visual? I actually, I invented it, but I, then I called some historians and they said, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's probably, that probably happened. It's not like a tactique in any book, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, it makes sense. I'm curious about the timeline from the moment you realized, oh, I need to figure something out. This, 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 the choreography isn't going to work to shooting it. How much time do you have? Because it sounds like you're going to have to loop in, you know, special effects, VFX, you know, there's a, there's a lot of dominoes. This is a very great, it's a cool idea, but there's a lot of departments that need to, to work together to execute it. How much time did that take to, to turn that idea around? When I was there, I was immediately like, okay, this has to be done this way. And because I was also, and in these moments, it's perfect if you are a producer, writer, and director in one person, because then you have, you don't have to <laughs> discuss it with anybody. So I just decided immediately and I told everybody what they have to do. And it was done very fast. You know, I came home, I was thinking about it. And then I uh, said, okay, this is it. I called everybody and it, it, it just, uh, it's uh, what we needed. And it was pretty simple idea. But on the other end, when we were shooting, what I didn't know that the level of smoke will be changing because if it's mm-hmm. windy mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, something is smoking more, something mm-hmm. is smoking less. If you and just this, keep rolling even. Yeah. Boy. And is this real it, smoke or is it like hazers and things? Mostly it's real smoke. And sometimes we did VFX later on because mm-hmm. it was impossible, really impossible to keep the same level of smoke. Yeah, that was a very challenging thing. I didn't realize it before. I thought like, yeah, of course, you know, we're going to have some smoke there and it's going to look the same. But it, it's not. It, it's very different. Sometimes, sometimes if it's too windy, you suddenly have absolutely no smoke. And before you say like action and before they start fighting, there's no smoke. Mm-hmm. And then you're looking at smoke levels, not at choreography or performance or any yeah. of the other million things you need to be paying attention. Absolutely. To. You're yeah. absolutely I'm right. Sure you then don't you, have enough time as it is, right? Sure. <laughs> absolutely. Then it was, everything was just about the smoke. It's just like, it was like everything. <laughs> you like, don't have smoke. Like no, Peter. Not enough. 
Yeah. You're like, I don't know. Uh, the smoke looked really good. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The smoke, uh, yeah. What did you shoot on? What cameras? I used a uh, uh, mini Alexis. 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 Yeah. 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 Alexis. Cool. And how and do you, how many cameras did you shoot with like for the battle scenes? Usually three, maximum three, sometimes two. Because some spaces were too small for three cameras. For example, when we were shooting in caves, it was mm-hmm. too hard to shoot with three mm-hmm. cameras. You didn't have a place for the third camera usually. Yeah, the cave sequence is really cool. There's this chase through a cave and there's a lot of fighting. It's super brutal, like Peter is saying. And it's tricky because they don't have lights, right, in the medieval mm-hmm. times. Just like all lit with fires. And But I'm curious, like, let's say you have a battle scene. Let's, I, I'm kind of more curious like about like the bigger battle scenes the outdoor ones where you have dozens and dozens of fight you know like hundreds of people how do you start like in your mind to plan out the shoot like how do you make your shot list usually start with pie charts just to understand where are the people how it's gonna be because sometimes i i start with something but then i see okay I need more smoke here. I need some fire there. I need, you know, something happening in this corner. And if I start with the close-ups, then it's hard to change it in the, the wide shot. So I, I, you know, I rather start with the wide shots if, if it's possible. And then once I know how it looks, and also like, uh, in wide shots, you don't see all the details. So mm-hmm. these stuntmen and actors, they learn a little bit how to fight. Mm-hmm. And it's usually easier to hide it in the wide shots than in the close-ups. So it's also like a training. It's like a dress rehearsal almost. Yes, right? it yeah. is. It is. It is. It's just like, and they are learning it. And it's like a another rehearsal. But do you have like an approach, like when you're thinking like, should I do this with like a drone or should I do this like on a dolly or steady? Like, how do you even like start thinking about what makes like for a good battle scene? I always have an idea about what I want to follow, what is important for the battle scene. And it's usually you want to follow your lead or some characters to make it clear what is happening. But it's difficult. Sometimes it's just uh, you, you want to show things which are not part of that and you, you want to show them because they are cool and uh, you want to have something different. People uh, looking at each other mm-hmm. and that's always complicated. If you are in a battle scene, uh, you have mm-hmm. to just do a close-up on somebody and find somebody on the other end of the room and, and just connect them somehow. But it, it's usually While people difficult. are fighting behind them. Well, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. I do so, love the, the classic like long lens shot, like the return basically where the someone. So you see someone look and then you, you catch the, the person kind of like center frame and like there's layers and layers behind them and then crosses in front and maybe a horse rides by. I like I do love that moment is like a really magical moment of cinema language, you know? We've seen so many versions of it. And there's something about like there's a quietness on the battlefield in that moment. You know, it's so it, it, I guess you just you're grounded back to character. And you also huge fight. Yeah, you know? I love these long lenses and something is happening behind. But you don't really see what it is. Also, if you plan to do these kind of shots, you already should plan 
what do you want to do with uh, the sound and music? Because mm-hmm. you can support these moments with no sound or just like, you know, sound from far away, even if it's next to them and just spend some time with these actors and, and use different music than the, the action music. So it's, these moments should be supported not also by the camera, but also by the sound and by the, the music. And how is it working with all those horses? They are super, super difficult. <laughs> they are like, because you don't imagine that they cannot run that often, you know, they could hurt their hooves. Mm-hmm. They have problems with uh, too hard ground, too soft ground. It's always, there's always some problems. Sometimes they get mad about something. They don't want to stand. They don't want to do this, but they are still pretty cool comparing to a lion. (laughs) There's a lion in in the movie and you wanted to use a real lion. I heard. And I, I used the real lion, but it was, it was unbelievably. It's not shot in Los Angeles. Uh, no, no, no. It, it was it was shot in Prague, but the lion didn't want to cooperate, and I just I wanted him to do some some things. I wanted him to attack people, mm-hmm. and he the, he was he was taught to do that, but then he came to set, and he just didn't do anything. He was just at craft service the whole time. He was just lying there, and uh-huh. he he was doing nothing. Uh, when we when we turn on the cameras, he was doing nothing. So, Peter, I am curious about like what what you ultimately did because I have done actually, I have a specialty in cat food commercials. So on mm-hmm. a teeny on a small scale, I understand your frustration. Yeah, you, you, you work with cats. Yeah, right? you, yeah, we both work with cats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like you know, you know, to your point about rehearsals with, you know, your stunt team, you work with your animal trainers in a similar way where you're kind of developing choreography together and kind of getting routines or mannerisms or, you know, different movements in line. But like, there's no negotiating with a kitten or a lion. They just do what they want to do. Even if, you know, they know exactly what to do, that doesn't mean they're going to be in the mood to do it. So in my case, I would have like a couple cats and they'd be hungry because we, the trainer wouldn't feed them all day. And then we'd have They'd know they get a treat if they do the jump or whatever. I can't imagine you had three lions. I mean, know, I would love or to, anything. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I would love to have three lions, but we couldn't find the same ones. I mean, I yeah. really wanted to have at least two lions, but sure. we couldn't yeah. find the same lions, so it was it was impossible. So we had to have one lion, and they told me that once he gets tired, he's not gonna do anything. Mm-hmm. If he is too hungry, it's hard to work with him. It's mm-hmm. just like there were so many rules what should be done, what shouldn't be done. And then at the end of the day, they said, oh, and it also just depends how he feels. It, that's why we built this cage, you know, earlier, uh, like two two days before we, sh- we were shooting that scene. And he got there to feel comfortable, like mm-hmm. at home. Otherwise sure. they said it's going to be, he's going to be, too confused and he's not going to cooperate. But then he didn't want to cooperate. And, uh, but what was happening, they said that he's dangerous because he, he was unpredictable. Sometimes he was nice, but sometimes they said he is unpredictable. And I was standing with one of the main actors from the movie 
and we were talking next to the cage. And suddenly the calm lion who was not try, not doing anything, he jumped at the cage and he tried to grab the, the actor with his cloth. I grabbed the actor, we got out of that. And, and since that time, we had two guards or three guards just watching everybody who got close to the cage. And it was really surprising. And I, I was like, oh my God. So the, the lion was, and, and his trainer said, yeah, he is on a hunt. He's just mm -hmm. waiting. But, and then again, he didn't want to do anything later on, but he did something. But what he did was used in the movie. And then the rest, what he didn't want to do, we had to create a VFX lion and do, do it with the oh, really? VFX lion. Interesting. Yes. The lion could be a whole episode on its own. I just want to just put a, like, finish up with the battle scenes real quick. Are there any battle scenes that you studied, you know, before making this movie, like from other movies? I mean, I love Braveheart, Gladiator, The Last Samurai. So what I did, I didn't study anything, not really. I just like, I always do it my way. But because I watched these movies many times, I probably learned something, how they did something. But I hired an editor who did uh, Braveheart and oh, wow. uh, The Last Samurai, Steve mm -hmm. Rosenblum. And I yeah, spent a year with him in 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 the in an editing room, and we really became great friends. And uh, he helped me a lot. And then I was working with uh, Dirk, Dirk Westerwald, uh, who did Logan as an editor, and um, Le Mans '66, and he was great too. So I had these two great editors mm -hmm. who who were basically helping me with everything. And they were both really good with cutting bottles, editing bottles. You know, it's just like they had great experience from these movies. Are there any tips that you can give us about like how to make a battle scene good from hearing Peter Jackson and stuff talk about it? I know like, like you already said, like it's really important to stay with our main story, you know, and um, I think Peter Jackson or someone said like every third or fourth shot, you got to check back in with your... Hmm. your main people or else people will get bored of like just, you know, random just killing. Fighting. Yeah. Yeah. That's the most important thing, which I actually didn't really know before we started shooting. And I realized it later on, actually after when I was in the editing room hmm. that I would need, need more shots of these guys. Even I did them. I, I still felt like, Hey, I, I should have, focus more on, on the, on these guys to, you know, to stay with Ben Foster all the time. Mm -hmm. I found those shots at the end, but it was more difficult. Uh, now if I would be shooting the, the, the scenes, battle scenes, fighting scenes, I would more focus on, on the leads uh, just to, to follow them everywhere. Like and their then point of view of the battle. Some, yeah. Their point of view of the battle. And uh, I think it's very important. And then you should pick some like two, three really good things, which you want to do perfectly and fo focus on them. And then the rest, just cover it, uh, whatever is happening, get as many shots as possible, because in the editing room, you will need these shots, which the are pieces. not making really sense, you know, once when you're doing it. 
But then you see, hey, I need just a piece like this, like when the camera is moving from left to right. And mm. if you can find them there, it's perfect. That That's actually my main question, because, you know, you look at those sequences and, you know, Oren and I, we specialize in comedy, right? So it's a lot of like... Hey, uh, I shot a lightning battle, okay? Sure, sure. But it's a lot of, you know, like one face and, you know, set up and payout. Like a lot of jokes, you know, like a lot of dialogue. And so I look at a, you know, a big battle sequence, like, you know, with a bunch of stunt people on a uh, in a field, like swinging swords, and it all feels so documentary style. You know, I think that's a real trend of like it's handheld, it's up close and personal. Right. Like the Black Hawk Down, like Ridley Scott style. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But, but you know, plus, plus swords. And I I guess I'm always wondering, obviously the choreography is very precise. And and to your point, there's probably moments that you really have boarded out and that are really specific, but are the takes long? Are you, when you're rolling those th- three cameras, is it like a master in the middle and then two crosses and, and your operators are kind of fishing and, and searching for things? Are they long takes? Are they specific? How does coverage work? I guess is really what I'm asking in these kind of, giant epic setups right especially where like every other shot someone stabs someone or sure. blood or like yeah, it's not yeah. like you can just do this a hundred times right right, right. Yeah. each one is like a effect of some sort special effect or a visual effect yeah sometimes i mean if you have enough time and you can do it in pieces it's perfect mm-hmm. but sometimes you don't have enough time and right. you you just have to shoot it in as one piece and if there is something what is not doable, you know, then you just skip it and you just shoot it like you shooting and you moving your camera in between these people. And, the, and then you do pickups, like close ups of things. Uh, but it, yeah, it depends how much time you have, but uh, you usually don't have enough time. So it's. Sure. It's usually like that. So Well, and I imagine resetting takes a long time as well. If a take doesn't work for me, I just, you know, I shout a, a different version of the punchline and someone just says it, right? But like going back to one, I imagine is a pretty and arduous people get task. Tired. Yeah. Yeah. And people yeah. get Getting tired. Getting that line to walk backwards. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> more, yeah, just like you cannot do it that long because, you know, people get tired and it's much more probable that somebody get injured. Well, that's awesome. I feel like I have like a million more questions about how you even got this movie made, how you go from a found footage film that you paid for yourself to this kind of epic with Michael Caine and Ben Foster and uh, lions and horses. And, um, you know, you even have an, one actress in it, which is pretty cool. big male cast Um, but i guess that's that's how it was back then mercenaries you know not many women were mercenaries at that time if people want to watch the movie what's what's the best way i I know it's in theaters right now Uh, basically this is this is a movie about uh, fighting for freedom it's about faith i mean especially in the in these days it's just good to remind ourselves you know that some some things were happening and they will be happening and uh, it's about uh, mercenaries and uh, their world and basically uh, Jan Zizka is one of seven never defeated generals of all time like Genghis Khan Alexander the Great and he is one of the most famous Czech heroes 
And that's, you know, that's why the people should watch this story because it's based on true events. I hope there's different kind of love story in the movie, which mm -hmm. is for me always should be part of these kind of uh, movies. And that's what I like about it. Uh, like more than the fights, even, you know, those fights are big part of the movie. But yeah, the love story is awesome too. But where can people watch the movie? They can watch it in theaters from 8th of September and it's going to be there uh, several more weeks. Okay, cool. And it's on over 1300 screens. So you'd probably just find it anywhere you live. Well, awesome. Do you have a minute to hang out with us for an unpaid endorsement? Absolutely. Unpaid endorsement. So my unpaid endorsement, it might even be a re-endorsement. It's been a minute. All this talk of Prague reminded me of when I visited Prague, I took a food tour. I booked a food tour with a company called Taste of Prague Food Tours. That was so awesome. Super fun. And basically what it is, is like, you know, there's a local who kind of like takes you through, they've kind of lined up all of these different restaurants and bars that you go to. They take you through different neighborhoods. They give you a little bit of like a history lesson and a cultural lesson about like why this is interesting or pertinent, where the food comes from, all of that sort of stuff. You're with like a handful of other people. So you sort of almost end up on like a strange, like quintuple date you know it's a bunch of couples and we're all kind of eating and drinking together and like they were people that we wouldn't have ever hung out with under normal circumstances it was recommended to me by a good friend and now anytime i go to a different foreign city where i'm spending a little bit of time i seek out a food tour as like a nice way to just kind of get the lay of the land you know it's like an insider sort of situation they're relatively affordable and you eat great food you meet new people and you can you can ask them all sorts of different questions about where you should go next or like you know if you're like hey i would just want to be really touristy or hey i'm really curious about this or that so in general my recommendation is getting a food tour if you go to a foreign city but also specifically the taste of Prague fruit tours is great i follow them on instagram it was really fun so that's that's my unpaid endorsement peter what is your unpaid endorsement i would probably recommend to go to prague Try some dumplings, which you probably try too. I, I did try some dumplings, yeah. Uh -huh. They are really good. And I think just what is great, you should go to Charles Bridge, which is beautiful place. That's where John Voigt gets murdered at the beginning of Mission Impossible 1. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have it also in medieval and we oh, nice. change it to, you know, 15th century so we reconstructed the Prague, the old city and everything. Like with but it's VFX? So or... With VFX, VFX. Yeah, it would be really too expensive to do it in real. With the art department. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think it's, it's like Prague is so beautiful that it's worth to go there. So that's what I would recommend to everybody. Cool. Well, so my endorsement, it's a YouTube video. It's from this guy named Polly Fjord, P-O-L-Y. F-J-O-R-D. He's a 3D CG guy, Polyfjord. But he has this video. It's called Tutorial Sound Design for 3D Artists. And he uses this program called Soundly. You can go to getsoundly.com. It's free. And it's like this insane AI-driven sound effects library where you can literally just type like whoosh or whatever. And it'll just, from the internet, like just bring up like, dozens of whooshes and you can 
just listen to them and then literally just cut, put in and out points and just drag it into Premiere or Resolve or like Avid or anything. And it's like, it's like an unlimited sound library that I think I haven't installed it yet. So this is like a half endorsement, but I think it's free. And it's like just watching him use it. It's so fast and so amazing. You can be like reverse suck back or like whoosh or like dinging dime coin falls on ground, glass breaks. And it's like every sound effect has like 10 different versions. And again, it uses AI to help you find sound effects. So like, so it's not generating the sound effect. It's just searching for them. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. They're real. I think they're mostly real recorded things. They might have some synth stuff too, but if you watch this video tutorial sound design for 3d artists from Polyfjord, he kind of does a rundown of why he likes it. And you can see him sound designing one of his videos. And it's just like, it's kind of this like a level, like commercial broadcast level sound design that he does in like 15 minutes. And you're like, well, you wow. think back of all the things you've done and how that bad that like, you know, sword on the helmet sounded exactly like the sword on the, t- uh-huh. you know, or you're like the footsteps, whatever, like, and you're like, wow, this could be so good. So anyway, check it out. And I'm going to, I'm going to get soundly myself and I'll give a better review of it in the future. I would like to say one more thing. There is a, an app called Crowning Arts, and that's basically a, a new social network for artists. And you can go there and whatever you do, whatever art you create, if it's a film or you're writing a script or you painting things, whatever, whatever you do, you, you, you are a musician, you can go there and you can ask your colleagues what they think about your work. So, for example, if you are a director, you can upload an, a short clip and ask some good director who is already, you know, good in, you know, what he's doing. And, you know, he can mentor you, uh, like, you know, be your mentor, some kind of like, uh, give you some advices, tell you what he thinks about the, your work. And basically it's connected with charity. So if you want his opinion, you're going to have to send something to a charity. So, uh, he chose. So I think it's a great, Thing and it's uh, there are no advertisements and anything, so it's pretty clean. Yeah, so it's it's cool, cool thing. Crowning arts. Cool. Yeah, we'll check it out. Thanks for coming on, Peter. Are you do you tweet? Are you on Instagram or anything? I'm on Instagram. Yeah, P E T R J A K L. Well, you can find us across all social media. We're at Just Shoot It Pod, and if you have any questions for us, or if you want us to forward any questions on to Peter, if you have any. Of your own opinions on what makes a good battle scene, please email us or just shoot it pod at gmail.com. You can find me. I'm on Instagram at Bo Kaplan. I'm on Twitter at Smitey Pileg. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow across all social media. This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Thanks, Noah. And the music you're listening to is provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 